tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I'm looking at the little red light that says I'm live. That's, everyone should have one of those. It says looking for a pulse. Uh, Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations. Well, the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. I'm starting off the show confused. That's never a good sign. I guess trying to, amen, trying to change a a lifelong mistake from the heart of the nations to the heart of the faithful. Old habits die hard. Old habits die real hard, as the voice in my head said. That was live, wasn't it? That was live. I, too, have a red light that you can see if I'm live or not. Oh, yes, yes, I'm looking at his red light there. Oh, oh dear. He seems to have lost the red light. Does that mean you've stopped breathing? Oh, there it is. It's back on. All right, good. All right. I don't want to overstay my welcome. No, no. Well, you're always welcome. (sighs) Let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Did we do the... Oh, we did that already. Never mind. It's going to be one of those days. Oh, there. Again. All right. Let's see here. This is Isaiah, the first chapter, the 10th verse, and then it jumps to the 16th to the 20th verse. Just for the fun of it, let's let's see what it says in the verses that aren't there. Hero, well, let's hold on. Let me, let me, I got to back up and, of course, find my mouse. Okay. This is Isaiah 110, and we're going to read... Hear the the word of the Lord, princes of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, people of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were no longer there. It's very interesting. Some archaeologists are beginning to think that uh, the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah have been found, but uh, I'll wait until they're sure of it. But he goes on to say, What do I care for the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of whole burnt rams. Uh, in the blood of calves, lambs, and goats, I find no pleasure. Um, trample my courts no more. The, the the different sections of the temple, the temple courts. Um, <clears throat> new moon, Sabbath, calling assemblies. Your new moons and festivals I detest. Um, when you spread out your hands, I will close my eyes to you. 
Wash yourselves clean, put away my misdeeds. So it sounds like God is saying, I don't want sacrifices. That I don't think is what he's saying, that the sacrifices come from him. However, a sacrifice from an unclean heart is not efficacious. Jesus said, referring to the sacrificial order, which he continued in the sacrifice of Calvary and the sacrifice of the Mass, he said, if you are, if, if you find uh, uh, that you need your brother's forgiveness, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That, that um, what's the meaning of sacrifice? Okay. Sacrifices, blood sacrifices, were to establish a covenant. What is, is, I tell you this all the time, you'll forgive me. What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? A contract is I give you so that you give me. A covenant is I give you myself so that you might give me yourself. When the business at hand, the money has changed hands, the services or goods have changed hands, the relationship is over in a contract. In a covenant, it is only death that ends the covenant. I give you myself, you might give me yourself. That's a covenant. Now, within a covenant, there's a contractual element. The covenant of God with Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay? Yeah. There you go. A covenant was only ratified with the blood sacrifice. The meaning of it being, as has happened to this Sacrifice, so may it happen to me if I break the covenant, if I, if I forsake the covenant. The sacrifice was given as a word spoken that the sacrificer understood the terms of the covenant in such a strong way. And the one to whom the sacrifice was being offered understood the covenant in those terms. It was a life or death promise. <clears throat> For instance, intimacy. Intimacy can be the uh, the result of a contract or a covenant. It's the result of a contract. I give you money that you might give me intimacy. Well, we don't think very highly of that. Marriage is a covenant, and we think very highly of it, both you know, I'm trying to be oblique. I don't want to mention the the word, but that that uh, that trade, uh, that that profession, uh, that is is quite ancient. We don't have a great deal of respect for. We have great reverence and love for marriage. That's because marriage is a covenant. The other is a contract. They both deal with with physical and spiritual and psychological intimacy. But one we degrade, one we despise, the other we exalt. At least most people do. So. Do you understand what I'm driving at here? That the goal is the relationship. And if you slip into this idea that, well, I, I lit all these candles and I gave all this money to the church and, uh, um, you know, I did these, I said these prayers and I did this stuff, God really owes me. And I go to church every Sunday. God owes me big. God owes you nothing. You see, that's what's being said in this reading, that all your external services, if they're not the giving of self 
They are not pleasing to me. The prophet is not saying stop offering sacrifice. He's saying offer worthy sacrifice. And very interestingly, he says, Come now, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. Very interesting. Uh, this is recorded. Um, oh, gosh. it's I think it's recorded in Talmud. I, I, I don't know if Josephus talks about it. But the Yom Kippur sacrifice was a very involved thing. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, Jews fast. They nothing. No water, no food, no nothing for essentially 26 hours, an hour on either side of the 24. And on Yom Kippur, the high priest would sacrifice two goats. One would be sacrificed on the altar for the Lord. The other would be sent out into the desert given to the demons, and they would pray over this goat, and he was called the scapegoat, that, that, that the sins of Israel be put on this goat. And I've read different things about it, but the, the, a thread was tied to the horns of the goat and somehow to the, 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 the door of the, of the inner part of the, the temple. And over the course of the day, that, that thread turned from scarlet to white, indicating that the Yom Kippur sacrifice had been accepted. I mention this, it's a little foggy, but I mention this because the Talmud says that that sacrifice ended, or that sacrifice uh, was no longer acceptable. The, the thread did not change color about 40 years before the destruction of the temple. What happened 40 years before the destruction of the temple? Jesus was crucified. In other words, the Yom Kippur sacrifice had lost its relevance, we believe, and Jesus had become the true lamb of sacrifice. So 40 years before that, um, the destruction of the temple, the Yom Kippur sacrifice was not accepted. It's kind of interesting, but that's what the prophet is referring to here. The, the, um, the change in color of the, the crimson thread. So, you know, my, it's very interesting. I wasn't there, but that's reported uh, to be what was what was what happened. Okay, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, and again, it's emphasizing this external observance of religion. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus says in Matthew the twenty third chapter, have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Now, there's some people who think this was an actual physical seat. Uh, in the synagogue, there was a, a teaching chair, the chair of Moses. The first chair of Moses, so-called, doesn't go back before the 300s uh, A.D. Who knows? But clearly, the, the teaching chair of Moses refers to the law of Moses. And the, the idea of the chair of Moses, rabbis sat to, uh, to teach. I've shared this with you before, that that when Jesus, for instance, goes into the synagogue and he reads the passage from Isaiah, then he goes to sit down and all the eyes were on him. Jesus goes up the mountain and sitting down, he opens his mouth and says that when a rabbi was teaching, solemnly he sat. We preachers, we stand, but rabbis sat. So uh, these Pharisees, they when they spoke about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, well, listen to them. But don't imitate what they do. First of all, again, I've shared with you a number of times, the word hypocrite simply means play actor. When you perform a religious act to be seen, 
you're being a play actor. And phylacteries, if you don't know what a phylactery is, uh, it is a it was a, a kind of box, a leather box that was mounted on leather straps. And uh, in this leather box uh, were the words of the law. Uh, I think in the phylactery that the great Shamash, Hero Israel, w- was was written, uh, just as it will be put on the doorposts, uh, that, that section of Scripture, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is God alone, is Lord alone. Well, the, the, these leather boxes will be tied to the forehead and to the arm as, as kind of a, a, a symbol of prayer. Well, they're making the straps on the phylacteries nice and wide so everybody can see they're putting them on. And the fringes of the garment, the law said you should not cut the fringe of the garment. The hem of the garment was supposed to be uncut and un, uh, unhemmed. You were to leave at the corners of the garment. You were to leave uh, um, uh, tassels, unhemmed uh, part of the garment. And I don't know if they did this at the time of Christ, but now it is customary when you have a garment, if you have a prayer shawl or you have what they call a talus, it's a kind of vest. Uh, at the corners of this, you have uh, strings, and there are 613 knots in the in the talus, in the in the prayer shawl or in this prayer vest. Uh, and a good Orthodox Jew wears it all the time to fulfill the law, keeping the the the. The, the fringes on the garment, 613 knots to symbolize the law. So whether they did that at the time of Christ or not, I don't know. I don't think so. But clearly the, the fringes on the garment were signs of obedience to the law. And just so the people knew that they were really big on the law, the fringes got longer and bigger and more impressive. It's like you know when you go to the prayer meeting or the Bible study that the guy with the biggest Bible there has clearly got to be the holiest. That's that's the reasoning. It's it's nuts that 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 doesn't work. Uh, that that this this somehow judging my own holiness by by the show. I I can convince myself I'm holy because I have the externals of religion. I got lots of icons in my house and holy water fountains in every every door and a cross in every room, which is a lovely practice. I was brought up if a room didn't have a crucifix in it, it wasn't a room. It wasn't, we had a crucifix in every room. Um, that's lovely. But uh, uh, understand that it's what you do in the room that has the crucifix in it that, that really matters. You can sanctify a room without a crucifix by living a godly life. So I think that that is a very important thing uh, to understand. And one more idea. You know, <clears throat> the Pharisees were a wonderful group of people. They, they preserved the unity and the, the faith of the, of the community uh, in a time when it was at risk. But then as the years went along, they really thought it was their job to tell people how to run their lives. And when you make rules for other people to follow— you're on really thin ice. I remember a fellow who used to come to the rectory every Wednesday and and Friday to see what we're eating because the Blessed Mother had said at Medjugorje, you're only to be eating bread and water uh, on, on Fridays and Wednesdays. And uh, I remember saying to this fellow, John, seven kids in Yugoslavia, said the Blessed Mother, said, besides, she's not the Pope. When he would get so upset, the vein would stick out on his forehead. 
But you see, well, well, did the Blessed Mother say this? No, seven kids in Yugoslavia said that the Blessed Mother said this. And it's not part of the deposit of faith. And if God's speaking to you and leads you to do this, this is wonderful. Well, if it's good for me, it better be good for you. You should do it too. Not necessarily. There are things in the faith that are not negotiable. Like, I may not uh, kill the child in the womb, nor may you. That's not negotiable. But Wednesday and Friday, bread and water, that's negotiable. If God's speaking to you in this, but the Blessed Mother herself said it. No, she didn't. Maybe she did. But as I said to this fellow, she's not the Pope. Now, that, that may be upsetting to you, but my point is this. Phariseeism is when you start making rules for other people to follow. And we delight in doing it. If God has put in your heart that you should do something, do it. You know, I remember an old old uh, pastor back in the early days of the Pentecostal movement. Somebody came up and said to this old pastor, um, God told me that you should take all of the statues and images in the church and put them outside and burn them. God told me that. And the pastor looked at the person and said, you know, I was just talking to him and he didn't mention a thing. Don't make rules for other people to follow. If God moves you to an, uh, a practice that is ascetic and strong and maybe difficult, this is great. But don't make rules for other people to follow. All right. I think with that said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with... Uh, I think we'll come back with, uh, I want to come back. I'm going to put the word of the day a little early today because we're talking things Eucharistic, and I want to talk things Eucharistic today. Oh, and the phone number, you can call in at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Santee, who is listening in Maine for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. That's RelevantRadio.com slash car. Father Simon says... You don't like what? Whatever it is, I don't like it. Well, don't let's break up an old friendship over a thing like that. On Relevant Radio. Slipping up the holler, Dooley. Trying to make it down. Dooley. Give me a swallow and a payback someday. Well... Welcome back to the Reverend Know-It-All Fire Baptized Gospel Hour, as I like to call the show. But uh, that's it. I'm going to do the word of the day early today. As Drew, if you were listening during the break, Drew was talking about the Eucharistic Congress, and I really do want to encourage you to, to participate in it. Uh, that's going to be in Indianapolis, July 17th to the 21st, and it's going to, I'm going to be there, and, and the voice in my head is going to be there, so... Um, you can't miss him. He's not short. So uh, I was at a gathering. And I said, well, I know I'm going to miss Nick. And, well, there were lots of tall people there. But you'll see him at any rate, as I always say. the um, This is going to be a, a big deal. And, you know, I just think that, um, you know, things have gotten so weird in the world. And, you know, the I, I like to think of this as an act of reparation. In other words, we're kind of saying sorry to the Lord for all of the the indignities uh, 
that have offended his sacred heart and the immaculate heart of his blessed mother, and especially in the Eucharist. There's been so much disrespect for the Eucharist. And I want to, thinking about the Eucharist, I want to go to the word of the day. I did the gong. Oh, you did the gong? I didn't hear. It's one of those days for me. My mind is elsewhere. I don't know where it is. I'll find it, I'm sure. There's the gong again. Again, this is not a new word of the day, but I tell you this all the time. When we say believe in English, it really is only a shadow of what we mean by believe in the text of Scripture. All right, this is going to be complicated. Fasten your seatbelts. In English, nouns and verbs can be exchanged. In other words, we bus children to a school in a bus where we school them in fine arts. You follow? A verb can become a noun. A noun can become a verb. Greek did that. Latin did not. I don't think German German does in a few instances, but it doesn't really. Uh, it's one of the reasons that Greek was a universal language, the interchangeability of verbs and nouns, and one of the reasons that English, with its strange spelling, is, uh, is an international language. This is a great gimmick in a language to exchange verbs and nouns. Trust me on this point. But, while well, speaking of trust, that's what this is about. The word in Greek for for the verb to believe is pistuein. That E-I-N ending in Greek is an infinitive, like uh, is, acts like our preposition T-O. It makes a verb into an infinitive. In other words, uh, a verb that has no particular time signature. Pistuein, to believe. Pistis is a noun. Remember, a noun is a person, place, or thing, and a color or an emotion, I think you can add to that. Pistis means faith. It can also mean belief, but when we say believe in English, we mean an educated guess that we're kind of counting on. I believe the stock market will continue to go up. Hope you're right. Believe. It's an educated guess. That's not what the word pistuane or pistis means, or pistos the adjective. It means trust. This is really important for our understanding of Scripture. When you see the verb believe, or the noun faith, or the adjective faithful, you can take it out and put in trust. To trust, I have trust in you, the noun, or trustworthy. We're saved by grace through trust. Now, what has this to do with the Holy Eucharist? When I say believe in English, I'm saying I am of a certain opinion. I believe it will rain. I am of the opinion that it will rain. That's not what the word pistuin means. To be of a certain opinion is far different than to trust. Trust implies a relationship between persons. I trust you. Thus, I trust what you have said. You don't have to be of the opinion that bread and wine becomes flesh and blood. You have to trust that it does, which is different. You can go looking up Eucharistic miracles. There's so many of them. I think there is good objective reasoning to be of the opinion that a miracle happens at Mass. 
But the real source of, of the strength of the Eucharist in our lives comes from an act of trust. Jesus said this, and I trust him. If you learn to trust that that bread and wine in some wonderful and inexplicable way actually becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus, it, it becomes, at least for me, it is the greatest vehicle in my life of the presence of the Lord. His, his body is true food and his blood true drink. You know, there's so many. You look at I, again. I'm I'm rereading Doctor Doctor Bergsma's book on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, you know, and have to reconsider lots of my harebrained theories when I read that book. He's a real scholar, but he just points out the the Eucharistic motifs in 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 the Mass, in the Last Supper, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That that it's powerful stuff that Jesus clearly said that this would be the great vehicle of his presence, his real presence, his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity. And if you sit around thinking, well, I don't know, I'm not sure that the laws of physics and yada, yada, who cares? I mean, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was able to walk through walls, and we see passages in which people didn't recognize Jesus because he didn't reveal himself to them. You follow what I mean? That that Jesus could appear as he chose. And he chooses in our times to appear to us in the form of bread and wine. He said, this is my body. You can trust him. We're saved by grace through trust. And if you can't trust Jesus, you can't trust anybody. And if Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, that's saving faith. Okay, we're going to go to letters now. Let's go to letters. And what time have we got? We're good? Um, the, I did the trumpet. Where, where's my, there's my mouse. I got to find how to get the mouse onto the letters. Ah, there we are. Oh, no, that's the wrong bunch of letters. Okay, there's the mouse making. Ah, there it is. Okay. So, again, if you want more information on the Eucharistic uh, uh, Congress in July, Go to the website, uh, relevantradio.com slash. If they go to relevantradio.com, it's the first thing they'll see right now. Oh, it's the first thing you'll see. You won't even have to go to slashes. Very good. You you don't have to slash a single thing. Be careful out there. Yes, yes. (laughs) Don't get a paper cut. Yes, don't get a paper cut. All right, let's see here. Um, Let me see. I had a letter about this uh, uh, in the letters. If I can find the letter that had the letters about it. Um, okay, no, I'll find it. I really Good will. Grief. Okay, call yes. Oh, um, let's see. Oh, that's a good one. I'll have to do that one too. Okay, no. Okay, that's okay. I just, I pulled this letter up because it was a good, a good letter on this. Oh, all right. No, that's not it. Drat. It's about saving faith. Well, uh, we'll just go to a letter. All right, you can stop the waiting music. The wait is over. All right, this is... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. This is from uh, Adele. 
that in yesterday's show, the subject of Jesus' human qualities came up and suggested that they would have been given to him by his mother Mary. It reminded me of what our dear priest, Monsignor Ed Thompson, may he rest in peace, was fond of saying. Jesus was half Jewish. His father is God and his mother Jewish. Ah, <laughs> I've always appreciated this happy thought. No, 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 no. You're Jewish if your mother's Jewish. That's an interesting thing, that if your father's Jewish but your mother's not Jewish and they want to raise you Jewish, even as an infant you undergo what is called a conversion ceremony, which involves a ritual baptism, believe it or not, uh, that, that you're only a Jew if your mother's a Jew. And they regard, Jews regard a person whose mother is Jewish as Jewish. And a lot of people have the theory that God is Jewish. I'm not getting into that, but, you know, sometimes he sounds pretty Jewish. <laughs> so moving along, I'm going to move on before I, before I get in trouble. All right, let's see here. All right. This is uh, from, oh, goodness, uh, David Crockett. Um, interesting. Thought I would uh, lug a couple bags of salt in for your thoughts on keeping amen as amen. Instead of, there's the salt, thank you. Instead of translating it to truly, Jesus tells us he is the amen. Not that one version is correct, one is wrong, but for me, keeping amen instead of translating it to truly is richer and more boundless. Amen, I say to you. You know, I I like that actually. I think I I, I do agree with you on this point that uh, David that that the liturgy treasures the languages in which the liturgy function. And so there was amen is a Hebrew word, Kyrie is a Greek word. We kind of Alleluia is Hebrew. We keep these things as sort of treasures about which we reminisce. And I think it does enrich the vocabulary of faith. So, amen. You know, it's not it's not a hill I want to die on, but I agree with you there. Oh, look who just came in. Josh, how are you? We got a visitor in the studio. So, so what's new? What's new? Yeah, well, what's new? It's, it's good to see. I don't think, I don't know if I've ever spoken to you on the air, Father. I don't, I, I think I've, a couple times, okay. way back when. Way back yeah, when. when yeah, when Father was on the inner life. Ah, yeah. Ah, there you go. That might have been. That might have been. Other people have better memories than Oh, I don't. (laughs) But so what's new in the great world? Well, I was stopping by. I heard you talking about the National Eucharistic Congress. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a very big deal. A huge deal. Yes, I'm excited about it. What are you most looking forward to of being there? I heard you talking about the reparation aspect. Yeah, the reparation... I think I'm actually most looking forward to a huge crowd of people worshiping Christ in the Eucharist. That's a powerful thing. I mean, to see the church gathered is a powerful thing and gathered in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I think it's going to be a... Yeah, and it's an amazing thing to see. I think somebody, you commented on that and something written, somebody did, 80,000 people were hoping for. 80,000. Yeah, the thing that it makes me think of is that... I, I'm I'm hoping it gives us that little bit of insight, that little glimpse of what it means to actually be part of the communion of saints. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. in the book of Revelation where you have the lamb on the throne oh, yeah. in the middle of everything. Everything else is all looking inward to that center yeah. point yeah. of Christ, the lamb that was slain that yet lives. Yeah. You know, I think also, you know, I, I read different stuff about how it, the world is increasingly anti-Christian and very much increasingly anti-Catholic. 
you know, there's all sorts of bad history out there and misunderstanding what the church teaches and holds. And I think it's a very edifying thing for a person who's committed to Christ as a, as a Catholic person, a member of a universal church, to see that, oh, I guess I'm not alone in this. There's a whole lot of people here. And I think I, I've been at gatherings like that, and it's so strengthened my own faith. Well, and so that I, when I originally heard we were going to have this National Eucharistic Congress, I thought, oh, okay, well, the bishops have called for this National Eucharistic Revival. It's a three-year period of revival. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that'll probably be at the end of that. And it's not. It's actually at the end of the second year going into the third year, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting, but it's supposed to be for us attending the Eucharistic Congress, it is supposed to be exactly what you just said, that it's supposed to edify and enrich and give us that enthusiasm that we take back then into our own communities, the people we can influence in that third year. So that's that's the third year is actually yeah. supposed to be us going out being the evangelists. Yeah, yeah. That You know, it's just, I'm hoping people will take away from this the idea, and I hope pastors will take away from this, the idea that that we need to uh, provide opportunities as much as possible for people to spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, that for people to to spend time with Christ, you know, that that that's what what you do. I remember the story of Saint John Vianney, the the curia of ours, the patron saint of priests. There was an old guy in his parish who would come into church and stare at a big crucifix. I think it was over the tabernacle. And finally, Saint John asked him, "What are you doing?" Well, I come in and. I look at him, and he looks at me. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's profound. I, I love that story. Yeah, that's yeah, a beautiful it's, story. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other, the other quote. I forget exactly how it goes. It's Saint Jose Maria Escriva, and he says, "Remember when you when you go and you walk before Christ, and you're there in adoration." He's been waiting two thousand years for you to show up, and I thought, ah, oh, that's that's. He's that's very beautiful. patient. He's very patient. <laughs> At least with me, he's been patient. Yeah, that spending time with the Lord in the Eucharist is it's, a, it's such a powerful thing, and you know, it's it's kind of sad that in the, this day and age that that there seem to be fewer opportunities to do that. And I I would hope that that pastors who are involved in this and priests would make the resolution to create venues where people can do that, and that people come to understand that. That to be to sit to be still and know that I'm God, you know, in front of the Eucharist is a powerful experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> and again, I'm going to go back to the National National Eucharistic Congress. So, our CFO Preston, he and I yesterday were looking. There's hardly any hotel rooms that are left in the city of Indianapolis. Really? Yeah, yeah. We we had looked. There was one hotel that's kind of in the downtown area. It has only the presidential suite that's left. Oh, my. I think it's 1300 a night or so. I mean, it, it, it was, yeah. Oh, my. Relevant Radio, actually, we partnered with Nativity Pilgrimages, mm-hmm. and we reserved a block of rooms there. And so we've got, I mean, we don't have an unlimited number, but we have enough that we're hoping people will be able to uh, travel with us, be a part of the relevant radio yeah. kind of experience there at the National Eucharistic uh, that'll Congress. Be, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You're going to be there, I'm Father. I'm going to be there. The voice in your head. The voice in my head, tiny over there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew Mariani, Patrick Madrid, Talk Father Rocky. Talk about tiny. Yeah. Drew, yeah. How tall is Drew? He's at least 6'3". 6'3", maybe? Yeah. I don't know. He's a big fellow. He fits on the radio, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We take all sizes yeah, on the radio. Yeah. 
Yeah. But um but yeah, if if you want to travel to the National Eucharistic Congress and you're listening right now, Find out more. You can go to relevantradio.com. On our website, you'll see just on the homepage there where there's the information. You can learn about some of the different travel packages that we have. And even if you even if you say, number one, you'll find a better rate for hotel rooms. I, I Please send an email to uh, us here at Relevant Radio. If you find a better price for hotel rooms than you can find that we're offering through Relevant Radio, I will be shocked. I will be absolutely shocked. But... Um, even if you do get your own lodging, you make your own travel plans, buy your ticket through Relevant Radio. Just the ticket itself, even that, because Father Rocky has a brand new book. It's called Treasures of the Eucharist, and it's not even out. It's going to be printed later in the, the late spring or the early summer. Anybody who gets a ticket through Relevant Radio gets a free copy of that book uh, along with your ticket as well. When does he get time to write books? He's amazing. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I don't have time to write books. I'm too busy contemplating the great issues like what's for dinner. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to this. And, and it, it's a fascinating thing. When you meet relevant radio people, it really, for me, it really is a sense of family, that they're just your kind of people. So it'll be fun. Uh, I, I think it will be. I think it'll be a lot of fun set in a, an extraordinary atmosphere of worship. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Um, we need to return to that. The visit to the Blessed Sacrament we used to call it when I was a kid, and and uh, it's just such a source of strength. And yes. uh, so there, there you go, Father. Uh, thanks for letting me well, stop now, by. It's nice Always to have nice your mosey by. That yes. Josh Raymond, one of the people who make it all happen here at Relevant Radio. <laughs> at least I hope he's one of the people who. I don't know. It seems to happen, doesn't it? Seems to. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> they keep me away from the buttons. I tend to press the wrong one. But, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with phone calls, and um, I'm having fun. Hope you are. Join Father Rocky and Bishop Frank J. DeWayne this Wednesday, February 28th at 7 p.m. Central, for a special broadcast of the Family Rosary Across America on the road, live at Ave Maria University, our proud sponsor. Video stream on the Relevant Radio app and at relevantradio.com slash rosary. That's relevantradio.com slash rosary. Father Simon says, What's up, Doc? On Relevant Radio. Keep on the sunny side of life, but remember to wear sunscreen. All right, let's move along to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Randall from Milwaukee, or as it's probably said, Milwaukee. What can I do for you, Randall? Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. So I had a question about after the um, resurrection, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and says, um, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Then a little bit later, he appears to the apostles and invites them to touch him. And I was thinking the, you know, Mary Magdalene is the lay faithful, whereas the apostles are the priests, they're the bishops. Is this biblical evidence that perhaps the, uh, only the consecrated hands of priests should be touching our Lord Jesus? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that it works that way because it's, uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to have to ponder that, but... 
you know, that that, that would be, uh, you know, I don't know that the early church understood it that way, but the problem is the, 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 the mode of the verb. Uh, what Jesus says, I think, if I remember the text properly, may hop to, don't, it don't keep touching me. It's that present, that present tense, which is continuous in Greek. Remember I told, I think I said the other day that there's a present imperative and a, and an aorist imperative. The aorist imperative in Greek means do it, just like English. But the present imperative is do it and keep doing it till I tell you to stop. A verb tense useful to parents. Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, don't keep touching me, but go tell my brothers. And because I've not ascended to the Father, that, you know, that, uh, that we do, even if we are in a place where the discipline says we may not touch the Blessed Sacrament with our hands. We do touch the Blessed Sacrament with our mouth. So I think what Jesus was saying when he said, I've not yet ascended to the Father, when he ascended to the Father and became present in a certain sense in every tabernacle in the world, that then we would have as much of him as we could possibly want. Uh, whereas I can see Mary Magdalene looking at him and realizing it's Jesus and just touching him to see that he's not a ghost. That's what he says to the apostles, touch me and see that I'm not a ghost. That that the the different command, I, th I think, in the context was about uh, um, the tasks involved on Easter Sunday. Uh, uh, on the other hand, that is an interesting idea that, that um, perhaps there's a symbolic... Uh, uh, justification or a, symbol, a biblical kind of uh, reasoning regarding the the more traditional view of who may touch the Eucharist with their hands. But I think it's to be remembered that in the early church, they did not look at it that way. I think the evidence is quite clear uh, that the Blessed Sacrament was was distributed by hand. So, well, thanks for calling in, Randall. You've given me more to ponder. I've got a lot of things to ponder these days, but God bless. And uh, I hope to see you at the Eucharistic uh, Congress. That That's going to be good. Let's go to Christine from Chicago. What can I do for you, Christine? You know, like when I'm praying and then I'll maybe pray informally and I want to pray like the early church did, but then sometimes I think I hear myself speaking in an accent. Uh, is that wrong? Because no, Moses... no, I I don't think it's wrong. It's it's interesting, but it's not wrong. I mean, you know, I, I remember you're talking to somebody who has involved, been involved with the Pentecostal movement since its beginning in the Catholic Church, and it, it sounds like incipient uh, prayer in, in 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 tongues, glossolalia. So. Who knows? But I don't think it's wrong. I wouldn't worry about it in terms of of right or wrong. Um, uh, um, and I would ignore it. That's what I would do. I would just pray. And uh, who knows where the Lord will take you with it. So I, I hope that helps a little bit, Christine. God bless you. And, and thanks again for listening. Let's go to Diane from Providence. Is this a Diane I know? I know a Diane in Providence. No. You oh. asked me that before when we talked about Tobit, but oh, no, all right. you don't know me. Oh, okay. well, I do f now on the on the phone, yeah, on the yes, radio. This is, I mean, yeah, yeah we've the... three times now. So, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, Diane, what can I do but, for you? Yes, I have a young um, Protestant pastor 
that I, I work at a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a financial institution with, and he suddenly started wearing tassels, um, four of them hanging down out, out outside of his T-shirt over his jeans, and they're white with a little purple thread in them. And I was wondering if you knew anything about it, if it's a Lenten practice for them, or, or do they even practice No, Lenten? no, this, this pastor is trying to be more Jewish. Ah. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. Uh, let me let me look something up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Saint Paul discusses this. Okay. Uh, Galatians. Okay. Uh, let me see. Oh no, this is James, the second chapter, the tenth verse. Uh, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at no, that's not the one I'm looking good for. Grief. Hold on, good grief! I got to back up. It's it's it's. Oh no, my mouse is trying to escape. I've got you, little mouse. There we go. Okay. Uh, if you look at um, uh, the the um, Saint Paul's attitude. Uh, oh, good grief! I'm having a hard time finding it. But Saint Paul that's says, okay. that, "I love you." Anyways, Thank Father. you. Uh, St. Paul says if you fulfill one part of the law, you have to fulfill the whole law. In other oh. words, to take a, he, what he in particular is talking about circumcision, that, that a lot of uh, Greek-speaking Christians uh, who are not from a Jewish background are thinking, well, they tell us we have to be circumcised or we can't be Christian. St. Paul says don't be ridiculous. If you're going to keep one little part of the law, you got to keep the whole law. So y- you, you shouldn't do that. Uh, and I think that that's an important insight. So, so he's kind of become enamored of a little point of the law of wearing tassels, which is kind of funny because Jesus talks exactly about tassels. Say by by making your tassels bigger, you think you're holy. I, you know, I wouldn't discuss this with him. <laughs> Maybe it's important to him for a spiritual reason, but but that's what he's doing. He's taking a little a little shtickle of the law, as we would say in Skokie. And he's applying it to himself. Does that help a little bit, Diane? Yes, it does. And that's good advice not to discuss yeah. it with them. Yeah. We keep it to things that we can both agree on. Like I think that's and wise. Dignity and, and such. Um, he loves Jesus. He you love Jesus. He was, yeah, yeah, he tried once when, when he was younger and, and asked me if I um, worship Mary. And, and that was the end of our conversations about Catholicism. Oh. Because I told him the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> We love her. Yeah. We don't worship her. We love her. We don't know. Yeah. We we, I, I just said, well, we worship God. And that was the end of it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That was the right, right answer. Well, thank you. All right. All God bless. Right. Thanks for calling, Diane. God bless, God, God bless you. Let's go to Pamela from South Branch, Michigan. Pamela, what can I do for you? Father, I am a lector at a church, and I did a reading on the Feast of the Holy Family, and we do stations. And in the sixth station, there is a reading from Sirach, and I can't find much about Sirach. Oh, Sirach. Sirach is easy to find. Uh, Sirach, it's part of the wisdom literature, and I don't think there's an original in uh, in. Hebrew, uh, but it's it's in Greek. The Book of Sirach. Uh, let's see here. I'm clicking away. It's probably written about oh, 180 BC uh, by a fellow named Jesus 
Ben Sirah, son of Sirah. And he was a Greek-speaking Jew, probably. Uh, and uh, his grandson translated the book into, into Greek. It may have had a Hebrew original, but it's not considered uh, part of the, the, the Hebrew scriptures by Jews. But we've always considered it scripture. So it was it was written by it's it's part of uh, wisdom literature and uh this is it's also called ecclesiasticus uh, um not to be confused with ecclesiastes but ecclesiasticus which means the assemblyman so uh, uh i don't know if that helps does that help a little bit so he's not a prophet or... no he's not he's he's an author of what we call wisdom literature uh, and and um, okay. it's just good advice. He's not a prophet, but he's given good advice Thank in the style so of Proverbs. Well, you're welcome. Let's go to Joe very quickly. Joe, I just got a minute. What can I do for you? Uh, very quickly, on Moses and the Pharaoh and the plagues. On the one hand, God is saying, I'm going to send another plague because he won't let my people go. And yet, on the other hand, he says, I'm going to harden his heart. That's the catch 22. Obviously, the Pharaoh can't, he's not going to let the people go. Because God uh, well, the thing is, there's a proverb the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. By the plagues, God manifested what was in Pharaoh's heart. And we can manifest what's in Drew's heart because he's going to pray with you. It's good stuff in there, I'm sure.